Hi, welcome to Carbon Design's MindShift podcast. I'm Scott Gellum and I'll be your host today. We'll explore new ways of thinking, new technologies, and new insights to help drive business performance. So let's get started. Well, welcome everyone today to MindShift. This is a uh, new podcast series that we're carrying on Lipson, and it will be available on Spotify and Apple soon. Our first guest today is going to be Matt Stevens, and I'm going to do an introduction in a second. But just as a little background on this, the series is really intended to provide audiences with stories of companies, leaders who've been able to actively be successful in changing the mindset of an organization, a sales force, a marketing organization, their end audience. And through this course of the conversation, we're really going to try to drill into how they made these things happen. And so today, uh, welcome, Matt. We're going to be talking about getting sales to buy into inbound marketing and actually see the benefit of it. Typically, these two organizations might find that there's a little tension here, but I think you, as an observer uh, outside of your organization for a number of years watching this happen, I think you guys pulled it off very successfully. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, Thank you for inviting me on to the series. Um, And it's good to have an opportunity to discuss this with you. You're you're underselling your contribution to the the partnership in our success. So uh, good to be back. As way of background, Matt, formerly the Managing Vice President of Digital Marketing at Gartner, and and prior to that, he was Head of Global Marketing at CEB. So very smart organizations, very much organizations that had a strong sales culture, strong product culture. So, Matt, I'll just let you do a little bit of an introduction and environment that you were in to start. And then also, I think it'd be really important just to define what inbound marketing means in the context of the conversation we're going to have. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that's a great place to start was with the definition. So the way that we approached it was, of course, there's lots of definitions, but for us, it was very specific to, uh, in, in my CV time, it was a term of art, I suppose, for persuasion. So a, a label that we were applying to the change that we were trying to make. So it would help, I think, to understand the context for that. So CB, as you mentioned, uh, very much a sales-led culture. I think sales priorities entirely understandably took priority when it came to you know, strategy and decision-making and resource allocation. And despite that, I think that over time that there have become some friction of perhaps the sales organization was recognizing the, the, the company as a whole was recognizing that, that we needed to um, try and reduce. And so inbound marketing for us became the, the label that we applied to the, the marketing led solution to, to eliminating that friction and to try and, and restore the productivity of sales back to um, how it had been a, a few years previously. And so what led to that point where there was a discussion around what can inbound marketing do to help the sales organization get back to that productivity? How did that come to a head? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that there's, uh, looking back on it, a number of factors that played into that. So um, first of all, I think it was just a, a pure measure of productivity. So I guess the other element of our, our culture that I should mention is that you know, decisions were very much data-driven. So lots of analysis required for certainly any kind of strategic change or change of direction, then the burden of proof was was even higher. So, But as a, as a sales-led organization with, with data at its heart, then um, uh, we always had great information on the productivity of our teams. And I think that there was a you know, productivity challenge um, driven by a number of factors. So one is you know, we've been around for a little bit longer now. So I think the the acceleration of sales began to perhaps slow as we penetrated into our core markets more deeply. Um, so just a natural deceleration there. But at the same time, the, the model that we used, which was, I, I guess, a fairly 
common model of a, a business development associate who would uh, reach out, try and establish sales leads, engage those leads, uh, and then book a sales conversation for a sales executive to take over. That model wasn't especially scalable as the company was growing rapidly. So um, we had a, a fairly clear uh, understanding of, of the productivity that that unit could deliver. Um, so it becomes fairly forecastable. So in growing into new markets, uh, new product lines and so on, you have a choice of potentially just stamping out more of those teams and, and driving a precise number. But if you're looking for scale and efficiency, then you need to find a, uh, an alternative way to do it. And so the environment we're in, I think, was greater cost sensitivity coming at the time, um, definitely an attempt to to uh, recapture some productivity that, that we'd seen decline because of the, the changes in the market. Uh, and that was a big driver. So those were sort of the, the sales-specific factors. Yes, right. um, we also had some on the buyer side as well. So long-term trends uh, that, that um, we understood through our own product that we were selling, through, so CV's own research and something you're very familiar with as well, Scott. So the, the fact that executive buyers were uh, engaging sales later and later in the sales cycle. So when we did the initial research, they were already 57% of the way through the sales process before they engaged um, with our teams. We were certainly not immune from that research. So the, our B2B buyers were, were no different from anyone else's. So that also was putting some pressure on the teams. And then I, I think at the company level, we also had done a rebrand, a major rebrand uh, within uh, the prior 12 months, uh, also made a big acquisition. So a CV bought SHL, which is roughly half the size of CB at the time. So um, pretty significant internal disruption and also external uh, I wouldn't say confusion necessarily, but changes and messages in the marketplace as well. Um, so yeah, th- those factors all came together. And I think that uh, it was recognized that, that we needed uh, to take a, a fresh look at this. Yeah. How, how did the organization prioritize where you would put your energy best to support that sales force? So I imagine a lot of people, you had the business leaders and they all have their objectives and goals and targets yeah. hit and i'm sure they were all looking for some help and especially if sales wasn't reaching the, the potential that it needed to reach so how did you as an organization figure out where to put the energy i i would probably make it sound rather smoother than, than it was um but uh I, I think that the the first step which which is great is that you know there was broad recognition that there was a challenge so it wasn't that, that we needed to go around persuading anyone so the, it was an organization in search of a solution um, versus denial of a problem, which, which uh, certainly helps. Um, so once there was that recognition, where, how did you make a decision where you were prioritized? Would it be around business units? Would it be around the pipeline? Would it be around topic areas? How did the organization get to a point of understanding, okay, if we are going to engage uh, marketing to be some more supportive to sales, where were we going to focus our energy and try to make sure that that was being, you know, that we're getting the greatest return out of it? Yeah. 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 So again, I think a couple of parts to this. So we were in definitely a, a favorable position at the organization as a whole recognized that, that we were in search of a solution and there was no yeah. denial of the problem. So you know, th- that was certainly a, a uh, a position of strength, I guess, for us to start from. Where it became much more problematic is that because of the, I guess, the uh, the focus on cost and, and the need for productivity, yeah. um, the environment was such where resources felt a little bit like a zero-sum game. Right. So sales was very familiar with a way that they could guarantee they would hit their numbers, which was to invest in more feet on the street. Sure. Um, 
yeah. for a marketing-led solution, that meant in zero-sum terms, resources that they could not use to invest in people. So that became, I, I guess, the the hurdle that we needed to overcome as a marketing organization was, was to establish that marketing has a solution that can help sales with sales. This was not uh, marketing for, for marketing's benefit. Yeah. Um, so that, that was sort of, I guess, I would say the the first thing that we we needed to overcome was getting sales on board. And I can, I can expand on that in a little bit. In terms of the of how we would support the business most effectively, we were fortunate, I think, again, as data-centric organization, that we had very strong marketing data, and that enabled us to uh, identify where marketing was strong, and especially where it was strong relative to um, sales-generated leads. And that gave us the core of the message that we could then go and, and sell to sales. Yeah. Talk about how the organization decided on what topics that you would be putting the energy around. Because I thought that was a fascinating process of making sure that there was a pretty rigorous process of understanding where that support was going to go. And some people, you know, won in that and some people lost. And, uh, and how did you handle the people who weren't going to get the focus? So just talk a little bit about the process. I think it's fascinating. And I think people can really learn from that. Yeah. So I, I think that for for those who are not that familiar with CEB, um, we have products and services supporting all executive functions across the across the C-suite, and then also products that were supporting the roles that support executives. So perhaps the next level, or perhaps several times, several layers below that in in some product areas. So our, our topic terrain was vast, um, and I think that had we attempted to support each and every um, sales team, um, we would have drowned at the research phase and, and got no further. So we. Uh, came up with uh, a mechanism to try and prioritize. And we needed that mechanism to be logically sound, but also very transparent so that as we were selling to the organization why we want to do what we could do, um, we could we could defend the, the rationale for the prioritization behind it. So it um, had to be data-focused. There were a lot of variables that went into a model that we built, um, but I think they drop into three categories mainly. So I... Uh, call them like business opportunity, competitive advantage, and then market demand. So the business opportunity we measured, broadly speaking, by looking at the different divisions of our organization, seeing which had the, the highest growth rates and the, the biggest, the best profitability. And that's where we focus. So really the size of the business, the, the trajectory of its growth uh, and the profitability. So the more, if we could rise the velocity there, then it felt like we could make a bigger impact faster. Um, so that was one factor. Second factor would be the competitive advantage where we were looking at the quality of our product. So for CB, that product was Insights. And we went to the product teams and worked with them to try and identify what content they felt um, was the most distinctive in the marketplace, had, I guess, the, the greatest differentiation um, and the greatest potential to, to have something of a, of a lifespan impacting executives and their teams for, for years to come. And then the third factor being the market demand, we looked at uh, at organic search volume and uh, so for the the keywords associated with the topics across the board, uh, which had the greatest uh, volume in the markets that we uh, were operating in. Of course, we played in a uh, a competitive uh, factor as well to strip out anything that we felt that we had no chance of, of winning in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important point for people now to understand as we come out of hopefully this recession and quickly is that companies are going to have smaller budgets and they're going to have to be more strategic with their investments and they're going to have to make some maybe tough 
trade-offs internally, and it's all going to need to be driven by data, right? You're going to have to have your numbers together. You're going to have to make an argument, uh, especially what I thought was really impressive for what you guys did was that people always talk about sales. It's a sales game. When you talk to people in sales, you got to talk about numbers, data. That's how they speak and think. And I think your organization did a very nice job of convincing them by using data that marketing can use data and they can use information that can persuade in a way that salespeople can connect to it. The, I, I think that the, I think that the key thing that we did was frame it in their data, not ours. Um, so uh, there was a specific metric that, um, that the productivity and, and performance in, within the sales organization was, was measured by. And we knew that to successfully persuade them that a marketing solution here was the way forward, we needed to use that metric as the anchor. So broadly speaking, it was a conversion rate between sales conversation and, and the, the individual becoming a, a customer. So we, at the time, had a, a very strong marketing operations team uh, led by Brian Conway, who you may well remember. And his team had put together you know, very solid end-to-end closed-loop reporting for, uh, for full funnel measurement. So what that enabled us to do was to um, firstly see how marketing channels and, and uh, tactics were performing, but importantly, compare them to uh, sales on the same uh, KPIs. And so the, the argument that we were able to make, and this was really the first step in, in the, the persuasion on, on how we were going to deliver, was on the marketing generated lead performance relative to sales. Um, we saw when we ran that analysis that there was a 27% advantage for, you know, I guess, conversion rate for, the, for marketing generated leads, which you'd expect, otherwise marketing wouldn't have a purpose to exist. Um, right. But then we drilled down into marketing generated leads and saw that amongst them, those leads that came from organic search uh, converted 64% higher rates than a sales generated lead. So, wow. so that allowed us to go into the room and say, organic search can make your job easier. Um, no one disputed that. It was using their own data. If anything, it, it generated um, enthusiasm and urgency for, for what we were going to say next. Now, yeah. the second blow uh, in the argument was to look at the opportunity cost of doing nothing which was to show them the, the search results today. And uh, for a com- combination of reasons, our search results were not where we would want them to be, I think, in aggregate. So certainly there were some hot areas where we performed really well. Broadly speaking, uh, the terms for that we would relate to the, our, our biggest products or our, our newest products weren't performing that well. So we were able to say, here is what we can do, but unless we get investment, we're not going to be able to deliver that for you at scale. So I think that, that that is what got people thinking. And when we got into the plan for what we were going to deliver, and then our plan was to do um, you know, deep dive targeted content uh, for, for the selected topics, um, build out rich, valuable content that would be useful to, to the audience that we wanted to get in. And the I think an important part of this was some of the work that, that we had done with you, actually, Scott, which was to make sure that the messaging on the page led the user through a particular journey so that they understood that, you know, that there was a clear next step for them to take that was uh, a, a progression step in solving their problem. Yeah. So I think what we found because of that structure is that when leads came through uh, from that route, um, we had a much better sense of exactly what the topic is that the individual was motivated by. And that enabled the, the conversation to move at a much, much faster rate. 
Yeah. And I, for people who are watching this, I don't want them to come off with the fact that you had everything perfect to start with. Because I can remember seeing the research from your members that said, when I search for a topic that I think you should have or some knowledge or information around, you didn't show up on the front page. And then when they knew the topic that they wanted and they went to the CEB site, they couldn't find it on your website. So you had to challenge both not only you weren't appearing in searches that they were doing, but also when they actually knew what they were looking for and they went to your website, they couldn't find it. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think that, you know, as I say, there were legacy issues, I think, around marketing being relatively new to the organization. Um, digital team was very small. We weren't particularly, weren't sufficiently resourced, I think, to manage content as well as all the other things that we were doing. So we were going through a, a transformation of our own, building the foundations as we were going. Um, so this was one of the foundations we were building, I think, rather than it being a refinement of, of something that was in place. So would say we were in some ways starting from, from scratch. Yeah, I know that content for a lot of organizations is a challenge, and it was for you guys as well. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to get the organization to recognize the fact that content was important for this initiative and how they were starting to shape that? That's a, that's a major lift for anyone in an organization, especially an organization that produces as much information yeah. as, as CEB and Gartner. Uh, does so how how did you coordinate that how did you get people motivated what did you do from your team perspective yeah so i I think that we were fortunate in some regards and that uh, our own product uh, as you say was promoting the fact that content was a very important step in the in the buyer journey um, especially as buyers were conducting their own research so we just needed to reflect that back successfully to the organization that that content is available to in in many a blog post for people to uh, take advantage of themselves now but a couple of steps, really a bottom-up and a, a top-down. The, the bottom-up really focused on the sales organization. And then the, the top-down uh, focused on the CEO and literally from the top, so the CEO and then the executive, executive committee. To get them to understand that content itself was necessary was relatively straightforward in, in that we were able to show, uh, compare the areas where we had somewhat reasonable search performance to those where we didn't. Um, and we could show the difference. I, I recall one example where um, somebody was complaining about a particular topic um, that was not um, uh, was not showing up in search, and angry actually that that it wasn't because this was a major um, major area for our business. Um, but we were able to do a, a domain level search and show that that phrase I think didn't appear anywhere on our entire website. So the sales teams were going out and and pitching this term. Uh, all the time, but we had not had the resources or uh, priority uh, to, to develop the content for it. So I think just drawing the contrast between what they believed was important and what we were actually publishing um, was was a pretty powerful driver. Yeah, and I, I agree. And just getting, getting the right parts of the organization to recognize that, you know, sales is always looking for content. They're always looking for information. They're always looking for new information, but getting the internal organization set up. So how did you, did you guys put together together an editorial board? How did you decide on having that constant flow of content come out of the organization? Yeah. So the way that we had, uh, the way that this went was that uh, kind of was winning the resources was the first phase and then execution naturally, I guess, followed that. But the Winning the hearts and minds of the sales organization and then the, the leadership was was in phase one. For for winning phase two, 
equally, we still needed resources that we didn't have. Um, there were you know, a very small number of us uh, and much less than one hand of fingers uh, were working on this. So um, uh, we needed then to convince the product team, which is a, a content team on the client-facing side, which was you know, by, in relative terms huge, uh, we needed to convince them that, that it would pay off for them to support us and work on um, on the on the public facing content as well. So th- that in part, I think, was a domino that was going to fall once the leadership and the sales teams were on board. But nonetheless, it still required going through some of the same uh, same steps of convincing them to to contribute. And obviously, there's always a, a varying levels of enthusiasm for this with different individuals. Um, we could find some who who were doing this anyway in their own time. Um, which was a behavior we needed to redirect into our own domain. But what we could find is that, again, as with sales, if you can find an advocate who can um, support you and someone who's benefited from this in the past, to be able to take them and and have them uh, do the convincing rather than marketing as an outsider trying to do it, it made life a lot easier for us. Yeah, yeah. And then assembling the content on the pages on the website, can you talk a little bit about the knowledge centers that you guys constructed and and how important they were for making sure that you had something that users could find very quickly and and kind of met what their search was? Yeah. So um, the the approach that we took was to try and answer questions that we thought that our target audience might have. So there there were broadly 20 topic areas that we addressed. Um, we identified, um, again, the combination of the, the questions, and we got this information from our sales and product partners, but the questions that we knew that our audience was asking. And we matched that to uh, our own site search data and then also to uh, you know, organic search data to identify, you know, again, the, the relevant keywords and, and the relevant questions. For the content itself, um, what we were trying to do was take them through something of a... Um, an emotional journey of sorts. So uh, in in the first instance, you know, at the top of the page, we would try to be reflecting or echoing the question that they had. So making them feel like this is, you know, we understand, um, this is indeed a problem, you're right. And they were able to, I think that that's a, a good magnet for getting the initial engagement. And then the, the structure of the page was such as we, we mentioned, is that we took them through a journey where we would then, in the standard model, say, you, you've got a problem, but actually here is some data that shows that it's it's even worse than you think or it's more urgent than you think or perhaps it's not what you think, it's something slightly different um, to, to engage them further. And then with the, the content that we, we offered, it was interactive as much as we could make it, um, as visual as we could make it to be taken in in a, in a scannable manner. So there was quite a reasonable amount of depth. I think the word count was pretty high, but you could read the page very quickly if you wanted to. and we would see that the the scroll depth data would tell us that people were going all the way through. And so at the bottom, we would have you know, content that, that they could use there and then in exchange, of course, for completing a form. What I think that we, that the intent anyway, was to draw people in with, through you know, identifying with their cause, perhaps driving some urgency through giving them a different angle on it, then showing how we could help. And in fact, and usually would, the language that we would use would not be dressed up as, as how we can help, but more like here is how other people have solved it. So we had you know, a lot of um, uh, case studies and, and customer testimonials, that sort of stuff. And something I should have covered early on, uh, but I'll get it to it now is, can you just talk about the lead generation process and the qualification moving over to sales, just the connection between 
how you were creating the leads, qualifying the leads, and then moving to sales just to give everybody an understanding of how it worked inside your organization. Yeah, so I, I think um, as we, we did discuss briefly at the beginning, um, the, the standard model had been um, sale, junior salespeople engaging prospects typically over the phone, um, trying to set up a, a sales meeting and the, the, the sales executive uh, closing the business. So uh, very straightforward. With, the, with marketing coming on board, a sort of a parallel track would develop where we would uh, try to use web data capture as by far the biggest mechanism for identifying people who are interested. Um, then had a qualification, a score that we would, you know, there was an automatic review of that. And then we passed through for, for a human to, to check and refine. And then those leads through the, the marketing automation system would be, uh, and, and the marketing operations pipeline would be targeted or, or uh, routed, should I say, to the, to the relevant sales teams. So they would then do another qualification check and then they would flow into the, the normal sales process at that point. Um, so for us, operationally, the goal was, was volume to a certain extent, but volume of the, the marketing qualified leads that were then reaching sales. And how, how are you able to stay connected to those leads as they made their way through the sales process? A lot of times marketing just gets, gets shut out of that process, doesn't have the visibility to understand the marketing generated leads, what those outcomes were. How did you guys stay connected? Yeah, so it's um, we were good, I think, at having monthly reporting that was went upwards. Um, so we were routinely held to account for the revenue that was um, attributed to marketing generated leads. Um, so we were under scrutiny, which of course you know can, can feel uncomfortable at times, but I think in this case was very helpful for us because it gave us the discipline of, of being able to, to to show our contribution and, and look on it. So. The, the marketing ops team had then gave us the analysis on, on again on a monthly basis of which channels and tactics were uh, were generating through. So really, I think that the important thing is is what the marketing ops team did to make sure we had a fully integrated set of systems and data flows, and then the discipline of, of ensuring that you're actually making use of that data on a regular basis. So you mentioned earlier you're measuring the conversion rate compared to sales generated were you guys also looking at the cost because you mentioned earlier about being efficient so how was cost looked at how was it captured how was it measured how was it compared yeah so i i think for the the work that i was involved in i i didn't get a lot of exposure to the to the cost model on the on the sales side um i think for your know, marketing there was absolutely scrutiny of, of the level of cost and for us it was very much a you know on a headcount basis um so expenditure through your know, variable uh, variable expenditures such as paid search campaigns etc that that was very limited and so we were really operating uh, i think our, our currency for operation was time and uh we we certainly needed the goodwill of uh, of our colleagues and our teams to um, to get the most out of this in the shortest space of time and so as it relates to cost, um, was the strategy to continue to, to ramp up content to win on the organic search front and, and take down a little bit of the paid search? Or was it to redirect that budget on pay search to other areas? What was, how did you balance the paid versus organic? Yeah, so a good question. And I, so the, when we uh, secured budget to, to proceed with this project, um, the, it was done on the understanding that we would need a, a short-term spend uh, in, in paid channels 
to try and kickstart uh, a virtuous cycle, I guess, for, for the organic side of things. So most of the, the investments um, went into paid campaigns specifically targeting the topics where we had created new content for uh, or where we've moved content around significantly. Um, and the idea there was to generate early traffic, early awareness, get some inbound links uh, coming our way for, for link building purposes, and really just to to uh, build some build some activity and start sending some of the the signals to to Google that this was content that that was um, you know, worthy of indexing and and uh, ranking highly. Um, so the paid search was was a big channel for us. We we did some retargeting that was set up you know, um, well in advance, um, and also some uh, some social paid social, which uh, was pretty productive for us. Um, the promise was that over time, the need for that spend would come down. Um, so you can think of two two lines uh, on a chart. Um, the, the organic curve would would uh, hockey stick upwards, whilst um, the and therefore, as it did, the need for paid search would go in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. Was it the, your results as it reflects on sales productivity? Was that ever measured in terms of productivity lift or closed deals per rep? Was there ever a measure of inbound marketing activities to what it meant in terms of sales productivity? Yeah, so I, I think uh, I, the answer to that is not that I recall, but what we get the timing of the project was was interesting because we we really wrapped up the I guess the launch of the content at the end of 2016, and within a matter of weeks, so early 2017, um, Gartner's intent to acquire CB uh, was announced. Uh, with that acquisition closing in in April of 2017, so that came exactly at the same time as as we were starting to see results. So it it did rather obscure, if not the data, then certainly people's focus. And a, a lot of the work that we had done to to build a domain was now going to be shifted to migrating content and migrating yeah. traffic uh, to to a new domain. So there wasn't a lot of energy expended on solving that particular problem. Right. So when you got to Gartner, did you have to rebuild this? Did you transport it over? What happened as you transitioned to Gartner? Sure, you're integrating and becoming part of uh, Gartner's platform. How did you pull pieces? How did you keep this engine running? Yeah, I think so for as an acquiring uh, company, Gartner obviously understood the value of the uh, the content and the process that we were trying to deliver. So the priority obviously was was on integrating the brand as, as, as swiftly as possible. Yeah. And I, I think um, I commend the work that was done there to, to make that a, a decisive move. With that, that we migrated most of the, the old CB audience and the content uh, over to, to Gartner.com. Some parts of CB were, were divested, so I had to manage that in, in the opposite direction, supporting the, the new company in, in retaining some of that traffic. So our focus became uh, split in, in multiple ways. But in principle, the, the same approach applied. Um, so Gartner already had strong um, public content, um, but it was very much focused on its core markets of, of the IT space. And so you know, we, we definitely had a, a focus of repeating the exercise uh, in, in some ways, um, but over on the new domain. So if uh, you had to give some advice People are coming back into the offices and they're recognizing that things have changed dramatically. Maybe we can't afford the outbound sales force that we had is, is, you know, as large as we have because demand is down. 
and we're really going to want to try to capture any demand that's coming at us, what recommendations would you give for someone who's just beginning this journey? Right. Yeah. I would say that uh, it's important not to shortcut the analysis. So as a marketer, some of this stuff will feel very intuitive and, and obvious, but to make the case and to sustain the positivity and support of, of those who you need to, um, I think that the data is important. So being able to show um, that marketing performs, that marketing performs in relative terms better than sales alone is, is the bedrock for, for making the case. I do think it's, if you can, uh, it's very important to, to get two types of advocate. One would be a sales advocate, someone who has benefited from your marketing generated leads. And, and if for you, organic is the right way to go, then someone who has very specifically uh, closed deals on the back of that. If they're a well-respected sales leader, the words coming from them will be uh, far more persuasive than they will from, from a marketer, no matter how, how good you are at it. The, the second type is, is to have a senior advocate uh, within the organization who can, who can manage the same, but from a top-down process. So you know, we benefited from um, a CMO who, whose biggest secret was that his sales skills were even better than his marketing skills. Um, and, uh, that, that took us a long way. And I'd say that the last thing is just to communicate the wins frequently. So I'm not sure we did enough of that to, to keep the momentum going and keep the goodwill, but, uh, you know, that, that's something I would recommend. Okay. And if you had to start it all over again, what would you do differently? Where were, or, you know, what would you accelerate or where would you slow down or where'd you focus your energies versus other areas you wouldn't? Yeah, so I, I think um, something that I've seen done subsequently, which I think is, is very powerful, is if you can, is to carve out a separate sales ops or sales team that can support this effort. So if you've done a sufficiently good job of, of winning resources, then having dedicated individuals who can qualify leads, follow up on leads and, and, and close them will pay off enormously, partly because you'll accelerate the process. Um, for that team, the economies of learning will kick in quickly. Um, you'll get through more wins faster. So that helps with the, the communication. And uh, then there in turn, then you, you can get more resources faster to, to just amplify the process. So that, I think, is something that, that I've seen work that I, I wish we had thought of and, and secured, the, uh, secured the resources for. Um, I, I think another thing that is I, I think we we did implicitly, but perhaps I, I would like to have made more explicit, is making sure that it's it's understood that this is a collective decision. Um, so especially with the, the top down, um, if you're able to make sure that everyone in the room has, has bought in um, and that it is known that this is a collective decision, um, yeah. it it makes it that much harder for there to be dissent. And, and you know, as we got budget allocation, over time, understandably, people were eager to see the, the, the returns. And there is, as, as we know, a, a lag time with organic search tactics for, for delivering revenue. So to maintain the positivity, I think we should have made more of the fact that this was a collective decision. It was a collective decision, but okay. um, I think we needed to have um, broadcast that more effectively. Okay. So how can people reach you if they need some advice on getting this done in their organization? Uh, well, they can absolutely connect with me through LinkedIn. I'm happy to to connect and, and respond to any questions that way. That's probably the most efficient. Okay. All right. Great. Well, also, when we post this, we'll list your email in case anyone wants to send yep. you. By all means. 
Great. Well, I appreciate your time today, Matt. Fascinating conversation. It was uh, fascinating to watch the process evolve, and uh, it's great to get somebody from the inside, the practitioner who had to live through it all. You know, we only talk about the glory, but I know that there was a lot of battles that you had to fight, and it wasn't always pretty. Yeah, I, you certainly saw me at my best and at my worst. <laughs> I appreciate the support then. And... All right. Thanks, Matt. All right. Cheers. Bye.